Okay, so basically I want to do take a couple few weeks and talk about the nature of salvation. Um, because one thing that I've noticed a lot in Christian circles is that with um, teachers, you always kind of get the feeling that everybody's at the same place, right? That you're talking, that everyone that you're talking to is at the same place, that everyone understands what you're saying, everyone knows what you're talking about, and, and really it's not true a lot of times. Uh, in a lot of cases it is. It, it may be more true in groups like this because everyone at least has some maturity, you know, and things. But but still, some some believers are newer in Christ than other believers. Some people have, you know, have read like tons of the Word. Some people are just, you know, starting to read the Word and stuff. And so I just wanted to spend a few works, weeks just talking about the nature of salvation and what salvation really is. Because a lot of times we're talking about salvation and we're talking, you know, about the things of God. And again, we think that everybody understands what we're saying, but sometimes people are like, I'm not sure what you're really talking about there, mm -hmm. you know. And so, um, so basically we, we just kind of want to talk about all that and hopefully it won't be so uh, elementary that it's not edifying to everyone, but I think, I think we'll all be able to get something out of it. Um, but so um, when we're going to talk about salvation, uh, we're, when we're going to talk about what the nature of salvation is, what salvation looks like, you have to begin at the very beginning, and that's in Genesis 1. So if you guys want to turn to Genesis chapter 1. I read the Old Testament so much sometimes. Yeah, I know, it's awesome. Huh? Uh, in Genesis chapter 1, it starts, In the beginning God... Now, I think that those are four of the most profound words in the entire Bible. In the beginning, God. Because with that, everything starts. With that, everything ends. You know what I'm saying? As far as the Bible's concerned, it ends in the book of Revelation with God being exalted and everything. So the Bible from first to last, our salvation from first to last, all begins and ends and continues through God. God is with us. It's all through relationship. It's all through knowing Him. And um, in verse 25, it says, God made the beasts of the earth after their kind, and the cattle after their kind, and everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, and God saw that it was good. Verse 26, Then God said, Let us make man in our image. Now all the other animals, He didn't make after the image of God, right? He makes the cattle, he makes the, you know, the fish, the dogs, the horses, everything else. But then he comes to man and he says, you know what? We're going to do something special with man. We're going to make man like us. We're going to make man in our image. It says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over the cattle and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 27, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. I love how it says that in verse 27. It says, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. So it's kind of like this mirror image. So coming or going, God, they're made in the image of man. You know what I'm saying? It's like backwards, forwards. It doesn't matter how you put it. This verse is stating that God made man in his image. 
there's something special about man that God put extra into. God waited until everything else was done, and he said, now I'm going to do something really special. I'm going to do something really different. I'm going to create someone in my own image, someone that's like me, someone that I can relate with, someone that can relate with me. The animals, they can't relate to God in the same way that we can, right? And verse 28, God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. Look at this, and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the ground. Verse 29, then God said, behold, I've given you every plant yielding seed that's on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed, it shall be food for you. To every beast of the earth and to every bird of the sky and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw that all that he had made and behold, it was good. Um, chapter 2, verse, um, verse 10 or verse 9 or verse 8. <laughs> The Lord God planted a garden toward the east in Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused to grow every tree that's pleasing for sight and good for food, the tree of life also in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. So we always get caught up on the fact that, you know, Adam and Eve ate off the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, but the tree of life was there also. And this was God's intent. God's intent was that they eat off the tree of life and live forever. God's intent was that that perfect situation that they were in was meant to last forever. That's what's his desire. That's what his heart was. Otherwise, why would he have put that tree there? There were two trees in the garden. There's a tree of the knowledge of, the good, of good and evil and the tree of life. They had their choices. God says, everything in this garden I've given to you to cultivate, to do with as you will. Um, look at verse 16 or verse 15. Then the Lord God took the man and put him into the garden of Eden to cultivate it and keep it. The Lord God commanded the man saying from any tree of the garden, and that includes the tree of life. He says from any tree of the garden, you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall not eat for in the day that you eat from it, you will surely die. Verse 18, then the Lord God said, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. And then out of the, out of the ground, the Lord formed every beast of the, of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man. Look at this. He, God uh, formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what the man would call them. I mean, to me, that's just awesome. I mean, God did not create man as a puppet. God did not create man and program him as a robot to do everything that he wanted him to do. God gave man free will. And not only did God, God gave man free will, and then he started bringing the creatures to, to the man to see what the man was going to call them. So for God, this whole thing was the grand experiment. This whole thing is... I mean, if you look at it, if you think about it, God created man and he gave him complete free will, complete autonomy so that he could see what this man was going to do. Is that, does that make, is that clear? He gave him complete free will. He gave him complete run. The only thing he said not to do was to eat off the garden, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Everything else he said you can do. 
He brought the animals to him and said, said and he, I mean, you look at, look at kind of behind the scenes and you can kind of see God, how God is anxious, how God is like with a, a father with a child, seeing what his son is going to do. And he's excited seeing what Adam is going to name these animals and things. Um, verse 19 again, out of the ground, the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was its name. Doesn't say whatever the man called the creature. God said, no, nah, you know what? I don't like you calling that one that one. We're going to call it this. I mean, God stood back completely. He didn't, he is, you know, he didn't have any hand in it. He didn't have any part in it. He stood back and allowed Adam to do what Adam was going to do. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to every beast of the field. But for Adam, there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And he took one of the ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh, and she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother. They'll be joined to his wife, and he shall become one flesh. And the man and the wife were both naked, and they were not ashamed. Chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said. I mean, we've all heard about this. We've all talked about it a million times. The serpent comes, and he begins to sow seeds of doubt. So again... Even in the garden, Adam, Adam and Eve are walking by faith, right? Just like we talked about. There's still, there's still room for doubt. There's still room for deception. There's not like, again, God has not made automatons. He's not made robots. He's not made puppets. He has made man with free will, free choice, free to do what he wants to do. But the main reason why he made man was to have fellowship with him, right? He made him in his image so he could relate to God, right? Mm -hmm. God made man so that there would be somebody that could relate with him, that could understand him on a level that no other creature could do. Verse 1 again, Now the serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed has God said, You shall not eat from any tree of the garden. Now, number one, you see the lie right there. God didn't tell him, tell her that she couldn't eat of any tree of the garden. He said only of the one tree, right? Mm -hmm. The woman said to the serpent, From the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but from the fruit of the tree which is in the middle of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat from it or touch it or you will die. Now here, the woman's adding to what God said. God never said, You shall not touch it. He said, You can't eat from it. And see, these are all the same deceptions that the devil comes to us now. He comes and he adds, he tries to sow seeds of doubt. Did God really say that? Right? And he also begins to get us to mistrust what the word says and to add to what this word says. Well, the word says that you, you can't do this and not to even touch it too. Well, that's not what the word says. And so the thing about it is, is again, God wants us to know him. And the only way that we can truly know him is through his word, to know what he has said, to understand what he has said. And the thing is, is that's why we have to meditate on his word and get his word inside of us, because then we can't be shaken. Mm -hmm. The reason why the woman was shaken is because she didn't know for sure that that's what God had said, right? right? right. 
Because if you knew and you were convinced in your mind, this is what God said, then the enemy, when the enemy says a lie to you, you're going to know that that's a lie. Right. And you won't allow yourself to be shaken for, for, for by that. Yeah. And so, verse 4, the serpent said to the woman, you surely will not die. For God knows in the day that you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So now here, Satan offers her a temptation, the temptation to be like God. You can be just as wise as God. You can be just like God is. And what would have happened if they would have ate from the tree of life? Right? And then ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That's exactly what would have happened. They would have been like God. He also, he also tries to convince her there will not be any consequence for her action. Right. Be sure yeah. you shall not die. Once again, going against what God had told the woman. And it just occurred to me, he didn't tell them they couldn't eat from the tree of life. Right. Right. <laughs> the, like, the tree of life, dude, come on. <laughs> the one that's in Revelation, like, like in heaven, you know, like, mm -hmm. you that one. Just, you know, yeah. yeah. In verse 6, when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, now look at this. In uh, 1 John chapter 2, it, uh, where is it? Let's see. 1 John chapter 2, you guys know about the, the scripture that talks about all that's in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the boastful pride of life. These are not from God. These are from the world, right? And this is all of sin. This, all three of those are right here. Yeah. When the woman saw that the tree was good for food, lust of the flesh, and that it was a delight to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and that the tree was desirable to make one wise, that's the boastful pride of life, she took from its fruit and ate, and she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. So every sin that you guys, every sin that you commit, every sin that I commit, it will be one or more of those. It'll be either be the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, or the boastful pride of life. Mm -hmm. that, it, that wraps up every sin that we could possibly do. Mm -hmm. And so, and they're all here in seed form, and the woman has taken them, right? Mm -hmm. And then not only does she take them, but she gives them to her husband. Now, all throughout the ages, we've always blamed Eve. Well, Eve ate the fruit. Well, she gave it to, she gave it to Adam. And just like Eve had a choice, she had free will. She made a choice with her free will to eat the fruit. Adam also had a choice. Mm -hmm. Adam also, by his free will, ate from the fruit. Yeah. So Eve is not any more guilty than Adam is. Right. Okay. So all throughout the history, men have tried to make women look bad because Eve ate off the tree. Well, Adam ate off the tree also. Not only did Adam eat off the tree, but Adam also uh, negated his authority, right? Mm -hmm. If the man is the head of the house and the man has authority, Adam just gave that away, right? So his sin was twice what Eve's was. And... Uh, Go ahead. He could have grabbed it, grabbed it from her and said, what's wrong with you, woman? And throws it across the garden. <laughs> yeah, you could be like, hey, I'm not eating that. Yeah. Verse 7, Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loin coverings. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and the man and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord God among the trees of the garden. Then the Lord God called to the man and he said, where are you? He said, I heard the sound of you in the garden and I was afraid and I was afraid because I was naked. So I hid myself. 
And the Lord said, Who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you not to eat? Look what the man says. The man said, The woman who you gave to be with me ate, she ate from the tree, and then I ate. So it's the woman's fault. And again, this has been going down through history since that time. It's the woman's fault. But, it, you know, and it's just, it's mankind. It's always somebody else's fault. I mean, you do any kind of jail ministry. We've done jail ministry before. You go to jail and start talking to them about the gospel. Everybody in there is innocent. Yeah, uh -huh. It's not my fault. You know, I did it because my girlfriend made me do it. I did it because, you know, I, I needed money. I did it because it's not my fault. And that's the condition of man. And it's starting in the garden. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. And ever since then, we've been throwing away our responsibility and saying, God, and basically when he said that, he was really blaming it on God. The woman that you gave me, if you hadn't gave me that woman, I would be fine. It's your fault. It's just, that's the exact same thing I hear people say about the put, God putting the tree in the garden. It's like, well, why did God put the trees in the garden in the first place? Right. You know? Yeah. And like yeah. you say, there was the other tree too. You know, they could have eaten off the tree of life. Uh -huh. They so, could have eaten off a lot of things. Like yeah. Everything yeah. that they could possibly want in abundance, uh -huh. but they had to have the one he told them not to have. You got to have the cookie jar. Got to mm -hmm. have the cookie in the cookie jar. And that's, that's what the book of Romans is talking about, where Paul says, I would not have known sin until the commandment came. Right? Mm -hmm. And that's the way it is with us. You know, it's like dogs. You'll watch dogs. You'll watch like a, a dog's chew toy laying there on the floor. Nobody, like you can have five dogs. Nobody wants that stupid chew toy until one of the dogs wants it. Then all of a sudden, every single dog wants that chew toy, right? And that's the way we are too, right? We, there are things that we can't have because we can't have it. That's why we want it. You know, and then you get that thing and you find out that, you know what? It's not nearly as good as I thought it would be. Right. And that's sin. That's, that's the nature of sin. It's like, you, you know, it's like Christmas. You know, we, you've been wanting this bicycle or you've been wanting this really, really cool toy and stuff. And it's like, I got to have it. And it's like you live and breathe and eat and sleep and dream about like this toy and stuff. Then you get it on Christmas morning. You play with it for about an hour and then you're bored with it. And that's the nature of it because things do not satisfy. The only thing that satisfies is the tree of life. And everything else is just a, 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 a counterfeit. It's a substitute and things. And we so, and the thing is, is that's what the, that's what the devil does is he comes and he sells us on the counterfeit. Yeah. And he makes the counter, and the counterfeit looks good. Yeah. The counterfeit always looks good. It's this beautiful, shiny fruit that's all polished and <laughs> man, it looks sweet and juicy and delicious and things like that. But you get it and you bite it and it's mushy. <laughs> Right? Yeah. Or it may be delicious for a while. But then you, 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 the more you eat it, the more you're like, you know what? It's not the best thing I've ever eaten. Mm -hmm. Right? Mm -hmm. um, verse 13. Then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So man blamed it on the woman and the woman blamed it on the serpent. The devil made me do it. Right? Then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you've done this, cursed are you more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. On your belly you will go, and dust you will eat all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. He will bruise you on your head, and you will bruise him on the heel. 
blah, blah, blah. We know all that kind of stuff. Look at this in verse, um, verse 21 or verse 20. Now the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all the living. Look at verse 21 or 21, <laughs> 20 woman, 21. <laughs> the Lord God made garments of skin for Adam and his wife and clothed them. No, actually, that's religion. Oh, really? Because I thought if it says the Lord, the Lord, like the that God had to actually kill the first animal to clothe Adam and Eve. Yes, and that's true. and that's the thing. All throughout the Old Testament, they made sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. Those sacrifices could only cover their sins, mm -hmm. but they could never take away sin. But just that God would make the first sacrifice to cover them. Yeah. That was a picture. I mean, it, there was definitely yeah. grace involved and there was definitely mercy involved, but it was only uh, a shadow yeah. of what yeah. was to come and it was it was imperfect. Right. It could never do what the perfect uh, perfect could do, yeah. which is basically actually what the whole, what we're talking about today. Mm -hmm. um, basically, and, and the thing is, is all throughout history, there have been people... Uh, who have been satisfied with the covering? There have been there have been multitude, multitudes of people who are satisfied with the appearance of 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 religion, with the appearance of being covered, with with having their sins covered. Well, you know, I, I go to church on Sunday Sunday, so that makes me okay. Or you know, I prayed a prayer once, so that makes me okay. And things, and so basically, there are people who walk around with this covering over them, saying, "God doesn't see my sin; He just sees this cover over me." Mm -hmm. And things, and and it's uh, it's it's religion. Mm -hmm. Okay, uh, verse twenty-two. Then the Lord God said, "Behold, the man has become like us, knowing good and evil. Now he might stretch out his hand and take also from the tree of life and eat and live forever." Therefore, the Lord God sent him out of the Garden of Eden to, cult to cultivate the ground from which he was, was taken. So he drove the man out, and at the east of the Garden of Eden, he stationed the cherubim and the flaming sword, which turned every direction to guard the way to the tree of life. And so all throughout history, there was this, this angel that stood guard at the tree of life so that man could not have access to it. I have you, a question. The small one. I don't like... Uh-huh. <laughs> I can't really, like, I haven't really thought about it that uh -huh. much before. Just toss it out there. But I can't really grasp, like, the thought, like, how or why, I guess, like, God, like, made us and put the, the trees and, like, just wanted to see what we would do, like, out of curiosity, like, he... Go ahead. Yeah, the thing is, is it wasn't it, it wasn't like God says, "Here's a test." He wasn't testing. He wasn't testing man. He wasn't. He didn't say, "You know, I'm gonna put this here, and I'm just waiting for you to fail." It wasn't like that at all. Matter of fact, everything was set for them. The whole garden was for them. They could eat off any tree that they wanted to. They could do anything that they wanted to. Um, they could eat off the tree of life. There was only one single thing that God told them not to do. And the thing is, is it wasn't as though God was watching them to watch them fail. It was when, when you become a parent, you'll understand. When you're a parent, you, when, you're, when your child takes their first step, you're there. You're watching them. You're with them. And you're like, yeah, and stuff. 
And so when God was with Adam in the garden, his desire was that Adam do what was right. And God was spurring him on. God was, God was wanting him to do what was right. And God, God made it to where he should be able to do right. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Can I, can I maybe answer the question and you correct me if I'm wrong? So um, a, lot of, a lot of people find fault in that God put the bad tree in the garden almost like he was tempting, tempting them. But the Bible says that God tempts no one, first of well, all. Well, that's not like... Hold, really hold on, hold on. Let me, let me just finish, and then if it doesn't apply, so tell me. But but when he did that, by having that tree there, it, it, it allowed man free will. Because if he had just put everything good, right. and there hadn't been at least one option to do something different, in a way we wouldn't really have free will, because we could have just... We wouldn't have really chosen him out of love, which is what he wanted. He wants us to choose him out of love. That's what a real relationship is. It's, no. it's I choose you because I love you. I choose to do this for you because it pleases you and I love you. If he had had everything going their way and they were in this plush garden with nothing else, I mean, of course they're going to, like, you know, of course. You know, but, but he wanted, I guess, there was in some ways, maybe there was a wanting him that some sort of a test. Do they really love me? Are they really... Do they really want to love me and serve me? Or is this like it wouldn't feel like free will if you just had everything that you want? It would be real love either. Like I was thinking when I, I mean, if you love someone, you show them everything. It's like, here's everything. There's this and there's this over here too. But stay away from that part of it. Like God was like totally showing them vulnerable, like being vulnerable and saying, Here's everything. Mm-hmm. Here it is. Mm-hmm. And in a way that you're like the cattle in the field if he doesn't give you a choice. You're right. just like a cow. Exactly. You just have a nice, lovely day and green grass and yeah. the sun is shining and there's a pretty cow over there in the field. You know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's you just there's there's that thing and I mean I'm I have a different view on predestination <laughs> but I do I think that the um I think that the I think that you really cannot understand God because it says God knows good and evil and now he's going to be like one of us. I don't think you truly understand God unless you have seen the opposite of God. Hmm. And the opposite of God makes us hate evil, makes us love justice, makes us I mean we see injustice all of a sudden you deeply desired justice mm-hmm. when you see unrighteousness mm-hmm. then you see righteousness you deeply desire righteousness and you see hatred and you deeply desire love and so we couldn't truly fully know and understand God and that that's almost the temptation too I'm not sure that any of us would have chosen you know differently if we can be more like God and I was just like, I never noticed, but I was going to, um, I was laughing at that very first verse because I never noticed it before, but it says the serpent was more crafty than any of the other beasts of the field that the Lord God had made. So it doesn't mean he's more craftier than man. It just means he's, I mean, he's got other abilities and he's, mm-hmm. you know, powerful, but it's interesting to me that mm-hmm. he was only... Yeah, so yeah. God God made us truly in his image, and the devil is truly jealous. Mm-hmm. 
in because he was like the most awesome being other than God up to then. Mm -hmm. And I don't think he appreciated God making something more awesome. Right. Mm -hmm. And then for right. people, oh, I can be more like God. You know, I can, I mean, who, who's not going to mm -hmm. choose to be more like God? And But then all of a sudden we understood evil. Mm -hmm. And that wasn't good. That was foul. But then we have to live with it because, you know, we didn't obey. But anyway, it's... Is that, kinda, is that what you were asking? Okay, yeah. I mean, like, it makes sense now. And, like, also, like, a little while ago, I also had, like, this new perspective on, like, what love was. And it's, like, love in general, like, people, I guess. And it's, like, love is not a feeling, but, like, a choice. So it makes sense that, you know, God would want to have that and he would want that there. Because... I don't think it's a feeling at all, I think. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Despite, like, in marriages, I guess, like, people mm -hmm. will get divorces because the feeling was gone or right, something right, like right. that. Mm -hmm. But, like, choosing to love them is choosing to love them through the bad times right. and stuff like that. So. Right, exactly. Yeah. Good, yeah. good. That's good. So, so are, you saying, are you saying then that that makes sense to you because yeah. God wanted that as well? He wanted us to choose him out of love? Mm -hmm. Yeah, and I, I still agree. fight that every day sometimes, just like the little bitty things. It's like I could have a rotten heart or I could choose to, like if my roommate's moving out and me just being like wanting to respond out of fear and stuff. And I'm just like, God, if I'm responding out of fear, that means my love hasn't been perfected, mm -hmm. you know? And so mm -hmm. I'm like, uh, you know, <laughs> I have to trust them. Like if that, I can't just keep on hounding them and going, are you going to do that? Are you going to do that? Are you going to do that? It's like, that's fear driven. It's not trusting in love, you know? And, and, um, anyway, I'm just, uh, and I've, I've been having to like realign my heart to his heart and be like, God, I choose, I choose to repent. Like I've been singing, I repent, like the William Tell thing, thing. I repent, 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 I
they gave it all away for something that looked shiny and that's and and that's the deception of it all it will always look shinier and, and that's the thing with God and that's the thing with even with your situation Ruth sometimes in the mundane things it doesn't look like God is there because it doesn't look shiny it doesn't like have a halo it doesn't have a glow you don't open your door and it goes oh you know and stuff but but the thing is is that is more often where god is at and that's really what jesus came and showed us because the pharisees had all the polish to them they had all the shine and the glow and everyone looked at them and said "Ooh, look at this guy jesus came and the bible says that you wouldn't be able to distinguish him from anybody else and stuff he was just a guy as far as you could tell from the outward and stuff and and he looked mundane he was a he was a carpenter he was a worker a laborer he wasn't a king he wasn't you know special in the eyes of man and stuff um turn to isaiah 59 so in the garden because adam and eve chose sin rather than god there caught there came a rift between mankind and god in isaiah 59 Verse 1 it says, Behold, the Lord's hand is not so short that it cannot save, nor is, the ear, is his ear so dull that it cannot hear. Look at this in verse 2. But your iniquities have made, have made a separation between you and your God, and your sins have hidden his face from you so that he does not hear you. You see that? Now, we, we tell it people all the time, you know, just pray to God and he's going to listen to you. Just pray and God will answer your prayers. The Bible says if, you, if your heart is not at a place to where you are willing to humble yourself, willing, and I'm not talking even about saved or unsaved, but there has to be something in your heart that is willing to submit to God. There has to be something in your heart that's willing to humble yourself. Otherwise, God will not hear those prayers, mm -hmm. Right? Now, sometimes he does hear prayers like that just because of his mercy and because that's just how he is and that's just how awesome he is. But he is not obligated to hear those. Turn to another place in uh, Habakkuk 1 verse 13. My Bible, Habakkuk, is on page 1125. I don't think any of us have your Bible. You're not helping. But there is a handy table of contents in the beginning of your Bible. It's after the major prophet, dude. It's after Nahum, after Micah. Habakkuk is a minor prophet, although I don't believe there's any such thing as a minor prophet. He just wrote fewer things than the so-called major prophets. But in Habakkuk 1, verse 13, he says, Your eyes... He's talking to God. He said, oh, in verse 12, he says, You, O Lord, have appointed them to judge, and you, O Rock, have established them to correct. Your eyes are too pure to approve evil, and you cannot look on wickedness with favor. And so the thing about the nature of God is God is holy, God is pure, and he does not dwell with wickedness. He does not dwell. Now, now, there is the sense that God sees wickedness every day. God is everywhere. And so in some senses, he brushes up against wickedness every day and things. But as far as having communion with, as far as sharing his heart with, as far as someone that God gives himself to, he does not give himself to people who are walking in sin and walking in wickedness. Okay? 
And so again, mankind had a condition. Man was fallen because of man's sin. And it wasn't just Adam that sinned. Everyone that came after Adam sinned also and stuff. And so there was instituted the sacrificial system that, you know, bulls. And I mean, think of it. Think of how many thousands, millions, bulls, of go uh, blood, bulls goats, lambs were killed to cover over sin, to make sacrifices for sin. Sacrifices, as David said, could not take away sin. And all this was done to, to kind of basically kind of cover over your sins, but it could never take away sin. All it could do was just kind of, kind of, kind of wash over it just a little bit and appease God's wrath. Mm -hmm. But the problem is, is that mankind had a condition that was fallen in a darkened state and we could not come back into a covenant relationship that Adam had with God in the Garden of Eden. And so man was in this condition for year after year after year, and there was no solution and no hope to it. In uh, Isaiah 1, and again, we're looking at the heart of religion, because all throughout history, there have been people that are, have been religious, just put on the outward show, just do the outward things, hoping that by doing their outward things that they're pleasing to God. And, but you know what? There's also all throughout history been a people of faith. The Bible says that if we are people of faith, we are following in the footsteps of our father Abraham, who was the father of faith. So like read Hebrews 12, all those guys walked in faith. And it was that faith which was pleasing to God, and God reckoned to that as righteousness, okay? In, book, in Isaiah 1, chapter 10, hear the word of the Lord. Huh? Yeah. Now, if, if you look in verse 1, it says, The vision of Isaiah, the son of Amos, concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Okay, so in verse 10, God is talking not to unbelievers. God is not talking to the world. He's talking to his people. Verse 10, he says, Hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom. Give ear to the instruction of our God, you people of Gomorrah. What are your multiplied sacrifices to me, says the Lord? I've had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I take no pleasure in the bull blood of bulls, lambs, or goats. When you come to appear before me, who requires of you this trampling of my courts? Just look at the heart of God. I mean, these people are doing all the religious things, and they think that it's pleasing God, and God's saying, who's required this of you? God is saying, I don't want this. Verse 13, bring your worthless offerings no more. Incense is an abomination to me. New moon and Sabbath, the callings of the assemblings. I cannot endure iniquity in the solemn assembly. So again, we're talking about a people who are religious, but they're still practicing sin. Mm -hmm. Talking about a people that do all their religious offerings, they, they sacrifice bulls and goats, they keep uh, festivals, they keep, they keep all these kinds of sacrifices, but they're walking in iniquity at the same time. They're walking in sin. He says in verse 14, listen to this, this from the heart of God. What if God came to you and said, I hate your church service? I mean, that would just be wild. He says, I hate your new moon festivals and your appointed feasts. They have become a burden to me. I'm weary of bearing them. So when you spread out your hands in prayer, I will hide my eyes from you. Yes, even though you multiply prayers, I will not listen. 
Your hands are covered with blood. Look at this in verse 16. Wash yourselves, make yourselves clean, remove the evil of your deeds from my sight, cease to do evil, learn to do good, seek justice. You see that? And so God, again, God was not interested in the religious things that they did. God is not interested in the religious things that we do, okay? If we're doing it with divided hearts. If we're walking in sin, if we're practicing, I was I was speaking to somebody this this uh, just this week who's who who like leads leads worship, and then he's he's got these things that he's practicing on the side, and I'm like, man, you have to deal with those things because God is very serious about ministers. God is very serious about the people who are leading other people into His presence. And stuff, and with God, He's not going to dwell with mixture, and it's not pleasing to God. Now, I'm not talking about stumbling. I'm talking about sins that we practice, sins that we hold on to, sins that God says you need to let go of that, and we won't let go of them, right? Mm -hmm. And God says, I will not dwell with that. And whenever you you do your religious services, whenever you do your religious things, if you're not following me with all your heart, it's not pleasing to me. Look at another place in. Uh, um, Matthew chapter 23, when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees. Matthew 23, verse 25. He says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you clean the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside they're full of robbery and self-indulgence. So again, you see it all throughout the Old Testament. All since the time of Adam and Eve, there have been a people who are just religious and do religious things, do outward things, and they look great on the outward but inside, Jesus says, you're full of dead, men, dead men's bones and, and hypocrisy. Um, verse 26, you blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and of the dish so that the outside of it may be clean also. So Jesus isn't saying, because you're a Pharisee, I'm, I'm mad at you because you're a Pharisee. He said, it's your hypocrisies that I don't like. He said, you can do your religious things. I don't mind the religious things that you do. I, God enjoyed when David would worship the Lord. God loved that. When, when the priests of the Old Testament, when they were doing it from a pure heart, they would go into the presence of the Lord and bring the offerings, bring the sacrifices. It said that the presence of God would come down in a thick cloud of smoke so that they couldn't even stand to minister. And God would come and he would bless their offering. He would bless their sacrifice. So God has never been against the religiousness. He's never been against what we do to, to do our religious acts, our religious things to please him. He's not against those. What he's against is when we try to do those things, thinking that we'll be saved by our acts, thinking that we'll be saved by our religious things that we do and not have a relationship with him. Because again, back in the Garden of Eden, what did he create man for? For relationship, right? Yeah. I think even Jesus said about the Pharisees to do the things that they say, not the things that they right. do. Right. Yeah, very good. Um, let's see, verse 27. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you're like whitewashed tombs, which on the outside appear beautiful, but inside they're full of dead men's bones and all uncleanness. So you too, you outwardly appear righteous to men, but inwardly you're full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. Turn to Matthew chapter 5 real quick. 
And this is a this is verse that used to scare me. Probably still does a little bit. <laughs> verse 20. Jesus was talking to them. He said, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that used to really scare me because I'm like, look at the Pharisees. I mean, they got the first five books of the Bible memorized. They pray all the time. They, they read the Bible all the time. They meditate on scriptures. They do all kinds of good works and stuff. But what are we looking at? We're looking at a people who are doing it outwardly who were just doing their religious show, who were just saying, well, you know, if I go to church three times a week, you know, if I tithe, if I, if I do good works, if I give to the poor, I'm going to be good with God. But their hearts weren't with him. And again, that's the reason why God created man is so that he could have our heart. So this is the condition that man was in until Jesus came. Yes? I think it's really interesting that that precedes his whole discourse about you've heard the ancients were told you shall not commit murder whoever commits murder shall be liable to the court but I say to you that everyone is angry with his brother is guilty before the court and all this whole discourse he gets to the heart like he talks about adultery mm -hmm. but if you look at a woman with lust you've committed adultery so he He's going through and saying it's not just this outward thing, but what, but are you? Are, what are your thoughts? What's mm. in your thought life? What are you? You know, he's bringing them back to the inward heart, and it doesn't mean that we don't do those things. It doesn't mean that we don't obey. It just means it needs to come out of a heart of love yeah. and a heart that chooses the Lord, like Becca was talking about earlier, in, in a relationship that chooses God. Yeah, and, that's, and that the, that's the thing is that it goes beyond just our outward appearance. Right. It goes just beyond the things. It, you know, there's nothing wrong with going to church. There's nothing wrong with, with tithing. There's nothing wrong with helping old ladies across the street. There's nothing wrong with going to hospitals and praying for people and things like that. As long as your whole purpose, your whole goal is to please the Father. And as long as you're walking in that relationship with him, and sometimes it is difficult. Sometimes we do get caught up in our jobs and in our lives and things, and, and, and we find ourselves in those places. And it's in that place where we just kind of bring ourselves to calm down just a little bit, to come back into the presence of God and say, Lord, this is all about you. Mm -hmm. This is all about the relationship with you. Mm -hmm. Everything else is, is a side issue. Nothing else matters in comparison mm -hmm. with that. Mm -hmm. Turn to Romans chapter 5. So when Jesus came, obviously, he came and died on the cross. He split the veil in two, that veil that kept us from the presence of God, that veil, which was the same covering that God gave Adam and Eve and stuff. Jesus came, and by his death, burial, and resurrection, he split that veil in half so that every single one of us, not just the high priest and not just one time a year, but every single one of us would have access to be able to come into the presence of God and to walk again in fellowship with him that Adam had. In the, in the Garden of Eden. Amen. See, we can have that same exact relationship. And I'm not saying that we'll be able to hear God's voice or whatever. It's all about communion. You know, the Bible talks about in everything that we do, in word and deed, do it to the glory of God Amen. and stuff. And it says to pray all times in the Spirit and stuff. And so we should, there was a guy named Brother Andrew. He was a Catholic monk. And there's a book called Practicing the Presence of God. You guys have probably heard of it. But uh, the guy... He, he wanted to learn about the presence of God. And so he, he learned that even in the most mundane of chores, when they had him washing dishes, he could be still in the presence of God. 
No matter what he was doing, he could be in a spirit, an attitude of prayer. No matter what he was doing, even in his workplace, and sometimes it's harder than other places. If you're driving a forklift, you don't want to be thinking about God, really. You want to be paying attention to what you're doing. So, you know, it all has to be balanced. But the, fact of the, but the, the point of the matter is that, is that wherever we go, whatever we're doing, we can be communion, communing with the Lord. We can be walking with him in the garden. And that's what Jesus died to bring us back to. Jesus' whole death, you know, Jesus dying on the cross wasn't to come and bless us. It wasn't to, to make us happy. It wasn't to save us from drugs. It wasn't to save us from our, uh, our ugly divorce. It wasn't to save us from our parents that treated us terrible. It wasn't to save us from abuse. All those are side issues. The whole thing about Jesus coming and dying on the cross was to restore our broken, lost relationship back with the Father. Amen. That's what it's all about. Everything else is secondary. Amen. And so that was the thing that Jesus accomplished on the cross. When he said, it is finished, that's the thing that was finished. The thing was because before we could never have complete access to God anymore. That way had been shut and there was an angel guarding the way. It was the veil of the tabernacle. It was that covering that God put over us. And there are people that today say, you know, when God looks at me, he don't see my sins. All he sees is the blood. What you're saying is you're still wearing those skins. Right? Because when Jesus Christ comes into your heart, it brings repentance and the grace of God gives you the ability and the power to overcome sin. Yes. He came, what's his name? Jesus. They will call him Jesus because he will save his people in? No. He will save his people from their sins. Amen. So here we're powerless to be free from sin because now we're living under the power and the dominion and the domain of Satan who is the God of this world. But see, the thing is, is in our reality, in our experience, there are two worlds. There is the, this world and there is the kingdom of God. And have you been transferred into the kingdom of God and the, the kingdom of His Son or are you living in the world? Because you can't be in both. You can be in one or the other, and sometimes you can be in one, sometimes you can be in the other. You make the choice. Yeah. But where the kingdom of God is, there is life, there is joy, there is peace, and there is relationship with God. Amen. And, when we, and that's what Jesus came to bring. And we're either in that kingdom or we're living in the kingdom of this world where Satan is the ruler. And everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life, is not from the Father, it's from Satan. Right. All right? In uh, Romans 5, verse 6, it says, For while we were still helpless, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. For one will hardly die for a righteous man, though perhaps for the good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Look at this. Much more than having now been justified by his blood we shall be saved from the wrath of God through him for if we if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God through the death of his son how much more being reconciled shall we be saved by his life and not only thus but we also exult in God through our Lord Jesus Christ through whom we now have received the reconciliation so there again Jesus has now reconciled us back to the father which we could not be before 
Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through sin, the Bible says the wages of sin is death, right? Jesus said, or God told Adam and Eve, on the day that you eat from the tree, you will die. Did they die physically? No, no they died spiritually, right? Yeah. Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world and death through, the, through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sinned. For until the law, sin was in the world, but sin is not imputed when there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam until Moses, even over those who had not sinned in the likeness of the offense of Adam, who is a type of him who was to come. So again, Adam was a type of Jesus, right? All the people in the Old Testament, Moses, Abraham, all these people that did these awesome things, they were all pointing to the greater sacrifice, which was Jesus. Mm -hmm. And they were all like many Jesuses, right? Mm -hmm says, verse 15, But the free gift is not like the transgression, for if by the transgression of the one the many died, much more did the grace of God and the gift by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, abound to the many. The gift is not like that which came through the one who sinned, for on the one hand the judgment arose from the one transgression, in other words, that one sin that Adam did cast all of mankind under darkness and under sin. But it says, but on the other hand, the free, the free gift arose from, from many transgressions resulting in justification. Um, for, if the one, for if by the transgression of the one, death reigned through the one, much more, you say that, much more, those who received the abundance of grace and, at the, and of the gift of righteousness will reign in life through the one Jesus Christ. So then as through the one transgression there resulted condemnation to all men, even so through one act of righteousness, Jesus drying on the cross, there resulted justification of life to all men. You see that? Yeah. And so now don't misunderstand. He's not saying that everybody's saved because of the one man. He's saying that there's the potential for everyone who yeah. receives it to be saved, right? Mm -hmm. Because that's where the deists come in and say, well, then that means everyone's saved. No, it says to those who believe, right? Mm -hmm. um, turn to another place in Galatians chapter, or actually Hebrews 8. So what was the issue? The issue was a heart issue, right? Mm -hmm. And in Hebrews chapter 8. It's almost fascinating that it says that yet death reigned from Adam to Moses even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. I mean, we think of Adam's transgression as so, look, he ate fruit, you know? Yeah. It's like, we think of it as small, but here it's like implying that it was massive. Like, yeah. people that didn't even do that much, you know? Right. It, it was big because Adam was directly pulled by God. And that's, that. it, yeah, and that's the thing. Sin is like cancer, you know? And, and it's like we talked about for, before, it brings a curse. And sin is like a cancer. When you go to the doctor and the doctor finds out that it's, it's cancer, if it's a tiny little cancer, the doctor doesn't say, well, you know what, we can ignore it. We can just let it go. <laughs> He's like, we need to get you into surgery. Surgery, We're going to cut it out or we're going to give you chemo. Yeah. They don't play around with it because they know that even if it's tiny, that whole thing will destroy you. Yeah. If left unchecked, it will just spread and spread until you're destroyed. Right. And that's the way sin is. And stuff. And so Jesus came and he did away with that. He came to deal with the cancer and to cut it out of our hearts. Because where's the cancer? The cancer is in our hearts. Yeah. And in Hebrews chapter 8, verse 8. 
Look at verse 7. For if that first covenant had been faultless, there would have been no occasion sought for a second one. What's he saying? He's saying that the old covenant had its flaws, right? Right. And the old covenant was never meant to be permanent. The old covenant was never meant to be the thing. Because even before the foundation of the world, God had planned for the second covenant, the more perfect covenant, right? Okay, for finding fault with them, he says, Behold, days are coming, says the Lord, when I will effect a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah, not like the covenant which I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt. For they did not continue in my covenant, and I did not care for them, says the Lord. Look at this in verse 10. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. After those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their minds and I will write them on their hearts and I will be their God and they shall be my people. You see that? So now it's just like the book of Hebrews, uh, like just read the book of Hebrews. It's so awesome because he contrasts the old covenant with the new covenant. The old covenant, all the commandments were written on tablets of stone, right? And that was representative of the heart of man, stony and hard. And, it, you know, and God's trying to write his, co- his commandments on their hearts, but they won't listen. But in the new covenant, God says, I will put a new heart in them and I will write my commandments on their hearts. So again, now it's not going to be me doing these outward things to look like I'm religious, me doing these outward things to look like I'm pleasing God, to look like I'm perfect when I'm not, because I'm not. And stuff, but now it's me from the heart trying to please God, from my heart trying to do what's pleasing to Him, not trying to look good for myself, but trying to do it for Him, right? And so the new covenant is when Jesus Christ comes by His Holy Spirit and He comes into a, a person's heart and He writes His laws on your heart. And that's why you that's why the gospel is all about change. You can't call yourself a Christian and still live like the way that you used to live. If that's the case, I'm, if that's the case, you have to ask yourself the question, have you been given a new heart? Or do you still have a heart of stone? Look at this in Roman, or, uh, Galatia, or, yeah, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be looking at lots of scripture today. Romans chapter 8, we're talking about how God gives us a new heart. In verse 1, it says, Therefore there's now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now this is what I believe about those who are in Christ Jesus. If you look at the original Greek, that means those who are being in Christ Jesus. Right? It doesn't mean that those who are in Christ Jesus and it happened like a hundred years ago and now... It means those who are walking in Christ Jesus. It's like in John 15 where it talks about abiding in the vine. Those who are continually abiding in the vine. It's not a one-time thing. It's not something that happened. It's not like I prayed a prayer 50 years ago and stuff. It's like I am abiding in the vine now. I am walking in the Spirit now. It's something that I am continually doing. It says in verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are being in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son. In other words, our hearts were wicked, right? Mm-hmm. And, and, and no matter how hard we tried, there was also always something in my heart that's preventing me, and that something is me. 
It says, For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. Now what that's talking about is like, we're always like, what if God were one of us? <laughs> Just a slob. God were one of us. Yeah. Right? And we're always like, you know, God, you don't understand my situation. You don't know what it's like to be me. You don't know what it's like to deal with the temptations I deal with. You don't know what it's like to deal with the problems I got to deal with. God came down to earth in the form of man. And the Bible says he was fully man and he laid aside his Godhood temporarily. So when Jesus experienced temptation, he experienced temptation in the way that you and I experienced temptation. It wasn't like he had an extra, you know, little little oomph. He had a trump card that he could call on or anything, or he could step out of it. He experienced temptations the way that we did, and he overcame them by choice. He experienced temptation in the way that Adam did, and instead of choosing the fruit, he chose the will of God. It says in Hebrews that he resisted sin to the point of shedding blood. Yeah. And so, and that's the reason why he, it says that God can understand us and he can be a high priest for us and sympathize with our weaknesses because he has walked in our shoes. He has understood what it's like to be a human being, to be on this planet, to be where it feels like nobody cares about you, to be like nobody's in your corner, to be like nobody's going to help you and all that, and to be like under, you know, what happened the first thing that when Jesus got baptized? It says he was led by the Spirit of God out into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And he was in the wilderness for 40 days and 40 nights fasting. And it was at that point, at his weakest, when Satan came and tempted him. Exactly. Not when he was strong, not when he was on a mountaintop experience. It's when he was at his weakest. So we can't say, God, you don't understand. I'm weak. I can't do it and stuff. Jesus understands exactly what it means to be weak. Mm -hmm. He understands exactly what it means to, to, to be tired, to be, to be tempted and stuff. I think his temptations were far more extreme in every way. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, Satan was, came to him personally, yeah, right? And he was poor, and he was ordinary appearance. And he, I mean, it's, you know, he didn't have anything. Right. right. And, yeah, extreme. And then he was tempted with all the riches of the world. And right. he was tempted to... He was tempted to I mean, those just to things that lust every the lust That's true. That's true. That's true. One thing about the cross where it talks about, like, if he wanted to, he could call down ten legions of angels. So to know that in the midst of those temptations, he could have done something about it. You know, he didn't have to have Satan turn stones into bread to feed him. He could have done that. But he chose not to. But it wasn't any easier for him than it is for any of us. Mm -hmm. um, verse 4. He, or verse 3. He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Now what does this mean? Jesus, uh, the Pharisee came to Jesus and said, Teacher, how does the law read to you? And Jesus said, There are two commandments of the law, really one. Love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your mind, and with all your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. If you've done those two things, you've fulfilled the whole law. And he said, basically, there's just one commandment. Because if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, you will love your neighbor as yourself. Mm -hmm. 
So everything, he says the whole law is summed up in those things. And we try to make it so difficult. And the Pharisees tried to make it so difficult. The Jews tried to make it so difficult. They had thousands of laws added on top of to the other laws and stuff. And it's like, well, that's not good enough. Let's add more laws to it. And we've got to add more laws and more laws and more laws. He says, all you've got to do is love God. If you love God, you're going to do what's right. And stuff. So when Jesus comes into your heart and he writes his law on your heart, that law is love. Right? And then by that, you can obey, you can obey the commandments of God. You can obey the law of God. Verse 5. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, those who are according to the spirit, the things of the spirit. Again, you're living in the world or you're living in the flesh. You're living in the spirit or you're living in the world, right? Or the flesh. For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God. So when we live, when we gratify our flesh, when we gratify our sins, when we give in to temptation, when we, when we allow those things to reign in our hearts, we are enemies of God at that point. Because we are coming against everything that he stands for, everything that he died for, everything that he gave his life for. I think it's really important that verse 5, 6, and 7 all say, talk about the mind and, and the importance of what you're setting your mind upon. Mm -hmm. um, because the, way, the, the secret to walking in the Spirit, it even says right there and in Galatians 5, is to set your mind on things above. If mm -hmm. you're always thinking about the world and you're always filling your mind with everything in the world and you're not... You're not meditating on his word. You're not in prayer. Um, then you're going to walk according to your flesh. It says mm. right there that you will. That's good. It's just like Romans 7 talks about. There's a war that rages within you and stuff. And it's like, are you going to give into the flesh? Or are you going to give into the spirit? Whatever you feed is going to be stronger. If you give into the flesh, your flesh is going to be strong. If you give into the spirit, your spirit's going to be strong. Mm -hmm. It says... Uh, verse 7, but the mindset on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, which is love, for it's not even able to do so. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If we're walking in the flesh, we cannot please God. All right? It says, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit, if indeed the spirit of God dwells in you. And again, if you look at the original Greek, that says, if indeed the spirit of God is dwelling in you now. But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Okay. You see that? So again, God, the, the whole thing, the nature of salvation, it gives you the power to yes. overcome sin. Yes, yes. Jesus living in you, his spirit living in you, leaves no excuse really. Yes. And I'm, we all sin. I'm not saying that we don't. I'm not saying that I don't because God knows that I do. But I'm saying, and the Bible says if we do sin, we have an advocate with the Father, right? We can come and confess our sins to Jesus, and He's faithful and just to forgive us of our sins. But really, we have no excuse. We can't be like Adam and Eve. Well, you know, it's because of this weakness that you gave me. It's because I'm Irish. It's because I'm, I'm Italian that I've got this really angry temper and stuff. No, 
If you've been born again, you have a new nature in you, right? It says in verse 12, So then, brethren, we're not, we are under obligation, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you are living according to the flesh, brethren, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. Can you see that? Mm -hmm. Turn to uh, Galatians chapter 5. So we're talking about walking by the Spirit and what that looks like. And we're kind of going somewhere here. It's just kind of taking us a little while. So good. Galatians chapter 5. Verse 16. I start with verse 13, babe. Okay, verse 13. <laughs> For you were called to freedom. You know, it's funny because, you know, God gave Adam a helper, right? Suitable and mm -hmm. stuff. And, and I was just talking to Amy today. It's like if, if because, like, check it out. This was my message before. So I crossed all this out and I crossed all this out because like Amy's like, are you, are you sure you were? So like we talk about it and I'm like, okay, yeah, that makes sense. And so God has given me a helper without my helper, like uh, it would be a mess. But that's, that's beside it. So. Anyway, in Galatians 5 verse 16, talking about verse 13. Thank you, helper. You're welcome. Talking about walking by the Spirit. It says, but you are called to freedom, brethren. Again, God gives us freedom, right? And, and that's the thing. You know, it's like I have never in my life as an unbeliever or as a Christian felt God lift me up like a puppet or God make me do something or God. You know, there have been a few times in my life where I felt very strongly God tell me something, okay? So I'm not saying that it doesn't happen. But I'm for the most part, in my daily, everyday life, is I'm making the best decision that I can make, right? And I have a choice. And I, when temptation comes, I, I believe me, I've given in to temptation many, many times. But there's many times also when I haven't given in to temptation. And it's like, in that moment, God has never lifted me up out of the situation or never kind of, you know, he does provide a way of tempta uh, way out of it, but that way out is like his voice telling you, you're about to do a stupid thing here, right? Uh -huh. Okay? But, so, anyway, God has given us freedom. Yeah. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you're not consumed by one another. It gets this verse 16, but I say walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. If you're walking by the Spirit, if you're filled with the Spirit of God, you're not going to want to walk in the flesh, Right? And there's times we all have experienced that. The times when we're close to God and temptation just bounces off of us, right? And there's times when we're not walking close to God and it's like, you're, it's like you just feel like you're being sucked into everything that comes along. You feel like you're slogging through mud and then you're just, you're, you got hip waders on that are filled with water and mud and stuff and you're just slogging through. So, but he says, I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh sets its desire against the Spirit, and the Spirit against the desire, uh, against the flesh. 
For these are in opposition to one another so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Again, someone's used the analogy before. You got two dogs in you. You got a white dog and a black dog. Whichever one you feed, that's the one that's going to be the strongest. Same thing. And the thing is, is I believe, like I was talking to a, a person like earlier that was struggling with sin and stuff, and I, I, I told him, I believe that you can come to a point where you don't have to struggle with that sin anymore. Mm-hmm. And I've seen that happen. Mm-hmm. And I believe alcoholism. I believe, in, I believe that God can deliver people from that. You know, you go to AA and they're like, once an alcoholic, always an alcoholic, you know? They're, and they're like, you know, hi, I'm Bill, I'm an alcoholic. Well, if you keep saying that, you always will be. But Jesus has the power, the ability to deliver us from sin. Mm-hmm. The problem is, is there's, we have to deal with that part of our hearts that still wants it. Mm-hmm. Because a lot of times we know it's wrong. We know that God wants us to deal with it. But, you know, uh, yeah, I kind of like it, though. I, I'm really kind of not ready to give that up. And if there, when you are in that situation, you will not give it up. Right. Because it's not until we come to the point, that, yeah, it's not until we come to the point where we're serious and we're like, and I've had, I've had to pray about things. I've had to pray, God, take away my love for this sin. Because, you know, there, Amy will tell you, I've been bound in things before. I have been bound in sin that, that, thank God, I'm free from now. But I had to pray, God, deliver me from this sin. And it's like I was telling my friend this week, too. It's like, you don't deal with it just when you're dealing with it. You don't deal with it when you fall and then you're like, God, forgive me. Make me strong. Make me hate it and stuff like that. You got to deal with it when you're not dealing with it. Right? You got to deal with it when you're not down in the trenches. You got to deal with it when it's not overcoming you. You have to deal with it at all times. When you start dealing with it when you're not being overcome by it, that's when you start seeing victory because that's when you're being serious with it. That's when you're like saying, I'm not just going to kind of let you live here until you're messing with me and then I'm going to fight against you. You're like, I'm taking the battle to you. Right? And that's how you win battles. And even in the Old Testament, it talks about how people... You know, God told them to go kick out the Amalekites, the Amal- uh, the uh, uh, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the pa- uh, Philistines. Kick them out. Do not spare them and stuff like that. It says that they would go in there and they'd let some of them live. And they wouldn't deal with them and stuff. And it was easy for, easier for them to leave them alone than to deal with them. And it talks about how because they did that, those guys, sooner or later, they begin to absorb their idols. Mm-hmm. They begin to absorb the worship that those guys did, and they begin to do their hearts just like God told them it would. And that's the same with us. If we let these little, you know, the Bible says, catch the little foxes. Yeah. It's the little foxes that destroy the vine. Because, again, it's like the cancer. If you let it alone, if you let it grow, it will take advantage of you. Yeah. And pretty soon it's going to be this huge, massive thing that you can't deal with. Now it's become a stronghold. And things. And so the way to overcome it is by believing, number one, that you can overcome it. Number one, having God deal with that thing in your heart, having God deal with your love for it. Because why do we sin? Because we love to sin. Yeah. Because we don't have to sin. And it's not like sin feels bad. It actually feels no. great. The Bible talks about it in <laughs> Hebrews 12. It's the passing pleasures of sin. Well, some, a lot of the times the sin is like, the overindulgence, so like it's not a sense to go shopping, 
But it, shopping can become a sin. Right. It's not a sin to be on the internet, but it could become a sin. Yeah. It's not a sin to eat, but it could become a sin. Yeah. You know, so many of the things God gave us for our life and pleasure and abundant life, but if you don't follow His parameters, it becomes an issue in your life. It yeah. becomes a stronghold and it becomes your your God that you're not willing to let go of for yeah. Him. So He and gave us food, but He doesn't want us to overdo it. He gave right. us wine, He doesn't want us to overdo it. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And that, and that's the thing, you know, it's like... Uh, um, I totally forgot what I was going to say. <laughs> but, yeah, you know, yeah, I've thought about it a lot because, you know, um, we try to be healthy and stuff like that and, and try to be active and exercise and stuff like that. Uh, and, and, you know, the Bible talks about how God has revealed himself in nature. Essentially, you can look at nature and see God if you, if you look in the right place. And I've always wondered, why is it so hard to lose weight? And it's like sin. It's easy to put it on. But it's hard to take off, mm -hmm. right? And it's easy to start sinning, but then it's hard to put sin off because, because it becomes a part of us, right? Yeah. And stuff. And it, it's, a, you know, it's a picture in, in, in things. And it's like it's, it's part of God's creation. But that is the beauty of the gospel is Jesus said, take my yoke upon you for it's easy and light. And it's, it's the, the whole deal of him writing... His law upon our hearts is that it can be something that can become a natural thing because right. we are naturally reborn and we have been given yeah. a new heart that it's now our inclination is towards pleasing the Lord if we've truly been born again. And so um, going back to what you just read um, kind of talks about that. But I say walk by the Spirit mm. and you'll not carry out the desires of the yeah. flesh. For the flesh sets its desires against the spirit, the spirit against the flesh, for they're in opposition to one another, so that you may not do the things that you please. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not even under the law. And then it talks about the deeds of the flesh are evident, immorality, impurity, etc. goes on to a whole list of sins. And then it says, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Why? Because when those things are on the inside of you, and we could go through each one of those and talk about what is love, what is kindness, what is goodness. When those things are by the Spirit of God, are on the inside of you, they're going to come out. You're going to have self-control. You're going to have gentleness. You're going to have joy. You're going to have all those things, and there's no need for a law because it's worked on the inside right. of you. That's when he's written it on your heart. Right, he's written it on your heart. And then the key that a lot of people miss is well, then they get all caught up in, oh, i got to do this, 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 and this. But if you will focus on Romans 8, it says, The mind, those who are according to the flesh, set their mind on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, it doesn't subject itself to the law of God. It's not even able to do so. If you're always thinking of fleshly things and you're always in the world and you're never focusing on the word of God or on prayer or anything, you're not going to be able to please God. You're not going to be able to because the ability to please God comes through that communion with the Lord. And that communion comes through prayer and his word. So that's the easy part. That's the law being summed up and loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. 
And then once you do that, the rest of it's easy. Mm -hmm. I, I serve him not because I get up every morning and go, oh my God, I gotta make Dean breakfast again, and I gotta make bacon, and I gotta make biscuits. And I don't, I don't do it begrudgingly, I do it because I love him. And out of that love and out of that relationship, I am happy to serve him. I'm, I, I can't wait to figure out what I can do that pleases him and makes him happy. And, and um, it, it is a light burden because of relationship yeah. and because of a changed heart. It's like in the garden, there was only one thing that they couldn't do, right? It wasn't like a million things. It wasn't like yeah. 50 gazillion things that you can't in. do. There's only one thing that yeah. you can't do. Well, with us, there's only one thing that we have to do. Love the Lord, you know? When, if we, and, and that's, that's, again, that's what I've prayed lots of times too. Lord, just increase my love for you. Mm -hmm. Because when that happens, everything else falls in apart. Then you're not making yourself sit down and read the Bible. Then you're not making yourself sit down and pray. Then you want to do it. Mm -hmm. You're doing it because you want to do it. Mm -hmm. And so, so mm -hmm. yeah, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. So continuing on. He says in verse 19, now the deeds of the of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions. And again, Galatians was written to believers. Envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things just like these, of which I forewarn you, just as I have forewarned you, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But like you said, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, against which things there is no law. It says in verse 24, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Um, turn to Romans chapter 6. Hopefully one of these days we'll go through Romans 6, 7, and 8. Because, you know, what, what happens a lot of times is, is people will, will teach on the book of Romans, or will teach on Romans chapter 6. Or will teach on, or, or we'll teach on Romans chapter 7 or whatever. Mm -hmm. Romans 6, 7, and 8, basically the whole book of Romans goes together. But you can't talk about one without tying the other ones in. Because it doesn't stop with Romans 6. It doesn't stop with Romans 7. It doesn't begin with Romans 7. It just... You know, it all ties in together. And if you don't read it like that, you will never truly understand it. Mm -hmm. But in Romans 6, verse 15, he says, What then shall we sin, because we're not under law, but under grace? May it never be. Or like King James says, God forbid. Do you not know that when you present yourselves to someone as slaves for obedience, you are slaves of the one whom you, you obey, either of sin resulting in death or of obedience resulting in righteousness. Amen. Verse 17, But thanks be to God that though you were slaves of sin, you became obedient, look at this, from the heart. Again, it's not an outward show. It's not outward. It's from your heart. Again, when God puts that love for him in your heart, then it's all easy. You're, all doing, you're doing it all just to please him. He says, when you became, you became obedient from the heart to that form of teaching to which you were committed, and having become been freed from sin, you became slaves of righteousness. You see that? Yeah. And so, the, the thing is, is because 
we were listening, we were watching YouTube this week, and, and there was a preacher on there, and he, the, you know, we talk about this every week and stuff, and it's not, it's not like we go out of our way looking for things to talk about. Someone sent us this, this video of this guy preaching and, and teaching stuff, and he, and he, and he was teaching stuff, and he's saying, you know, um, what, we wrote down some, some quotes, he says, God is love, and he's defined by love alone, thus he has no other emotion like jealousy or anger, etc., now, no, no, that's not his quote. I wrote these, so let me do it, because oh. um, that's not a quote. That right. was me. Oh. Um, his quote is, um, God's love is purely 100% unconditional. There is nothing you have to do to get it or keep it. It is the kind of love we have always dreamed of in our own relationships here on earth, a love that expects absolutely nothing in return. A love that has no expectations, no requirements. This is not, this is, I don't agree with any of this, by the way. <laughs> uh, well, this is a love that has no expectations or requirements. It's the kind of relationship we have always wanted. Personally, that's the end of his quote. I don't want a relationship like, with, like that with my husband. Okay, so he says, um, again, Dean and I don't agree with this, but this is what he says. It is the kind of love we have always dreamed of in our own relationship here on earth. A love that expects absolutely nothing in return. A love that has no expectations or requirements. It's the kind of a love. It's the kind of relationship we've always wanted. I, I agree with not wanting anything in return because I've always felt like when we love, we love not to love in order to get something in return. Right. Mm -hmm. But essentially, what he was saying what, and what he was teaching. What is he's that, saying is that the love that God has for us. Is without expectation. Yeah. Yeah. God doesn't expect anything from us. He doesn't want anything from us, and stuff. And the thing is, is again, yeah, this is not love. That's heresy. Yeah. Love is shown in what you do for people. Yeah. Yeah. Now, people who say this, they want love from God, right? Mm -hmm. They want things from God. They want God to bless them. They want God to help them when they're going through difficult times. But yet, they say, well, God doesn't expect anything from me. I can live how, they want, how I want to live, and God's okay with that. Mm -hmm. and, and these are the same people that say, when God looks at me, he doesn't see me. He, he just sees the covering. He sees the blood of Jesus and stuff. And as we saw, if the blood of Jesus doesn't free you from that sin, then it's, it's not, yeah, it's not true. Anyway. It's not real. And stuff, and, and they, and what this guy was going on to say was that any type of obedience, any type of of, of doing the will of God, any type of anything that kind of cost you anything, that's religion. Yeah. And stuff, and the thing, the thing is, is there's there's so much teaching out there, and you guys will come across it. I mean, you can't help but come across it. But there is so much teaching that says, you know, we don't have to do anything. God's going to do it all. I don't have to do anything. He's happy with me the way I am. He loves me just the way I am. I don't have to do anything. I don't have to change anything. And it's, it, it's, it's completely against what the Word says. Every bit of it. And it's against what real relationship is. That was what made me so mad as he said, it's the relationship we've always dreamed of in life. Like, really? Like, you want a relationship with a girl that, that she doesn't do anything for? Like, she yeah. doesn't express her love back to you? You just want, like this one-sided relationship, and our relationship with the Lord is not one-sided. And I I wouldn't want Dean just to come to my every beck and call and never expect anything back yeah. from me. Like, that's kind of what relationships well, and how is. And how many broken relationships do Marriages. we see all the time that are like that? Right. You know, one of the parties wants something from the other, but he's not willing to give. Right. 
I know. Oh my gosh, I know so many men that cheat on their wives. That it's okay, but if their wife was to cheat on them, oh, I mean, the roof would fly off, right? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Like, would that does that really hold true? Because like, if they're God accepts me for who I am, everything, but okay, but in the middle of that, are you wounding other people? Is your lifestyle wounding other yeah. people? Because if, if so, you've broken the second greatest commandment. Yeah. <laughs> you know? right, exactly. And so, like, so yeah, is God okay with you and, and who you are and everything? But a lot of times, like, the way that you are and the, like, well, this is just the way I am. And, oh, you know, mm-hmm. how is it, how are other people affected by that? And mm-hmm. God wants to desperately change us. But he did come to bring, bring peace you know, he is yeah. the Prince of Peace, and, and when we follow him and we love him, we do love others, like you were saying, and, and it does bring peace and reconciliation in relationships. Mm-hmm. And plus, our lives are to reflect him. And yeah. so if we're filled with anger or lust or gossip or whatever, how, yeah. are, we, how are we showing God to the world? Yeah. And, stuff. and the thing is, is, what happens is it's just like Satan. Satan brought a grain of truth to Eve, and there's a grain of truth in that. And it, it, that is that God does love each one of yeah. us. God looks at us. He's not like, you know, like we are. We look at someone and we judge them, right? Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, we've all been in situations where you've met somebody and you could tell immediately that that person didn't like you. <laughs> whether you did anything, whether you didn't do anything, right? Mm-hmm. God is not like that. God is open to us. Mm-hmm. But God has requirements. Those requirements are repentance, those requirements are a humble heart. Those requirements are broken. Those requirements are me coming and saying, Lord, I'm a sinner. I need you to change my heart. Mm-hmm. God is not, we saw in Isaiah, that God cannot dwell with wickedness. God will not dwell with wickedness. And so now God understands if we, are, if we want to change. God understands if we're like, Lord, I'm a sinner and I know that I'm a sinner, and but I want to change. And I need you to change me. God understands that. And God is there for that person. God is the high priest for that right. person. Right. That person, he understands our weaknesses. He understands that. And he's there for us and stuff. But the person who's unrepentant, the person who's stubborn, the person who's hard-hearted, the person that won't give up their sins, God will not be a part of that. And that person can say, God's going to love me just the way I am and, you know, and all that. It's, it's a lie and stuff. And so to me, what, what scares me is that there's so much teaching like that. And, it, and when someone is a new believer or someone doesn't know any different and they hear that and they believe it and they say, oh, well, cool, I can live how I want to and stuff, then, then you know, Jesus told, told people, men, whoever calls one of these little, little ones to stumble... Might as well tie a millstone around his neck and cast himself in the sea. Now, he was talking about children, but I think he also meant in a broader sense, people who are young in the Lord or people who are innocent, you know, people who don't know better and stuff. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, again, there is so much teaching in the world. And so, basically, we want to look at what, what the true gospel is, what true grace, what true salvation is. True salvation doesn't make allowances for sin and and. And again, we're not perfect. None of us are perfect. We all have shortcomings. We all have sins that we're all dealing with. But the heart that God looks to is the heart that someone says, God, I know I'm a sinner. Just like the, the, you know, the Pharisee and the, and the poor guy, the man, the Pharisee says, Lord, I thank you that I'm not like this guy. He's a sinner. 
but I, you know, look at me. I tithe. I do all these religious things. I do all these wonderful things in your name. And it says the other guy says he couldn't even look up to heaven. He said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And that's the heart that God looks to. No matter how imperfect you are, the heart that wants to change yeah. and stuff. And what, whenever God sees a heart like that, God will move heaven and hell help to get change. to that person mm -hmm. and to try, to try to change that person and to mm -hmm. give them what they need. But the one that's just religious, the one that does the religious things, does their, you know, I tithe, I do all these things, I help the poor, I do all this stuff, and yet their hearts are not for, are not for God. Their hearts are soaked in the world. Their hearts are for this world. The things that they do, they do to make themselves look good. They're far from God. Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. yeah. I was thinking when you were reading.